0: Well, good evening, Mosaic. Would you stand with us as we worship our God tonight?
1: Tell the stories of his faithfulness Never once did he fail Nobody but Jesus Who rescued me from that pain. Yahweh
2: Hey, good evening, Mosaic. Uh, Thank you so much for being with us this evening. I know there are lots of things you can do on a Saturday night, and we're grateful that you've chosen to be here and worship our sovereign God with us. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Ashley, and I'm on the communication team here, um, which means I tend to know lots of things. But I am not doing my job unless I make sure you know those things too. So a few things I want to make you aware of this evening. First, you've heard us talk about some of our student trips. We're about five weeks out from those students leaving, uh, and so I wanted to make sure you knew where they were going. So our middle school students are gonna be serving right here in Northwest Arkansas, and then our high school students will be in Portland, Los Angeles, New York City, and Paris. Um, So if you would like to give to any of those trips financially, uh, you can do so through the link uh, on our homepage, um, but more importantly, we'd love to invite you to begin praying for our students now, the people that they're going to encounter in the places that they're going to go. That is the most important way that you can partner with us. Uh, next, this one is for the men in the room. You have patiently endured us talking about all things women's studies and women's retreat, and it is now your turn. So um, our men's retreat is happening at the end of April, and registrations are open now. So this is available to um, men 13 and up. But if uh, kids are coming, they need to be coming with a male relative. If you have questions about that, you can uh, catch Jerry Dudley in the foyer, and he'll tell you all about it. You might be wondering, why is what does this girl know about the men's retreat? Admittedly, not much. I've never been, and I don't plan on going. But... Um, if there are any men in this room who have gone, would you raise your hand really fast just to give a point of reference? Okay, so gentlemen, if you haven't gone, these are the guys to speak to about it. Uh, Like I said, that registration is open now. I know they would love to have you join if you've never been. And then um, you may have noticed every time we start a new series, the artwork in our four-year changes. Um, That is because we have a ministry here called Spectra that is made up of supremely talented artists. Um, I do not consider myself a creative person in the least. So every time we have a new series and I get to see that artwork put on display, I am so impressed. And if you are a creative person and are looking for an outlet, I'd love to help you connect with Spectra. So you can go to fellowshipmosaic.org Spectra and they will get you all connected. Um, so for now, I'd love to invite you back to stand as we continue to worship our trustworthy King. Thanks for being here.
3: Deuteronomy 7.9 says this Know therefore that the Lord your God is God He is the faithful God keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations those who love Him and keep His commandments The Lord your God is the one true God That's who we worship tonight So let's sing this out and worship Him together Promise maker
1: promise keep. You finish what you begin. Our provision through the desert. You see it through to the end. You see it through Lord our God.
3: again. I'm going to introduce myself. Some of y'all know me, and I know some of y'all, but some of y'all don't. My name is Pat Anderson, and I work on staff here as a worship leader, specifically with Fellowship Worship. And so I wanted to give you a little behind the scenes to set up a song that we're about to sing. Fellowship Worship is a ministry that exists here, very similar to Spectra, where they are reading the Word of God and looking at series coming up, and they are creating art for that series. Well, Fellowship Worship is doing that as we write songs for the church. And so we meet early and we pray over the scripture and we pray with you all in mind to say, how can we take the word of God and how can we write a song in a way that ministers to our people? And so four a little over four months ago, we met on campus at the Oaks at the back and we opened the book of first and second Samuel. And really we looked at the Psalms and looked at the life of David. And we came to this passage that Colin's gonna teach on tonight, where we see David's humility and his trust in the Lord. And all throughout the passage, it talks about um, hands, hands, into your hands. God has delivered Saul into your hands. We saw it last week with David and Goliath where it says that the Lord delivered Goliath into the hands of David. And spoiler alert, David doesn't kill Saul. And so what, what do we do with that? He trusted the Lord. He said, I will not touch, I will not put a hand on the Lord's anointed. And so we wrote a song called, not into our hands, but into your hands. And in this life, we see that God gives us these things and these blessings, and we get to turn it back and give it back to him in worship. And so we get to do that through worship. We also get to worship and surrender and trust him as we worship through offering. And so as we sing, the ushers are gonna pass the plates, and that's our opportunity to be good stewards and to give back to God what he has given us for his kingdom work. So as we sing this song, feel free to just take in the words to maybe even spend time in prayer asking, Lord, what do you wanna teach me through this passage and through the life of David today? So let's worship him together.
1: Trust Uh-oh. you with in- into your to know the same.
0: Um, We're the Keenies. Um, (laughs) uh, My name is Isaac. Uh, I've been attending Mosaic for roughly 23 years now, um, and I currently serve with a group of stellar ninth grade guys.
2: And I'm Mac. I've been here since about the third grade, and I am leading with the 12th and 11th grade Bentonville girls. happy to be here tonight.
0: Let's uh, read from the scripture here. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. David then crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe.
2: Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called to Saul, My Lord the King. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground.
4: This is the word of the Lord. Can we give some thanks to our newlyweds for reading the scripture tonight? Hi, my name's Colin. I'm a grateful believer and follower of Jesus Christ, and I struggle with anxiety and depression. It's good to be with you tonight. Hey, uh, this series has been amazing, has it not? I mean, I, when, when I heard we're doing A Life of, of David, particularly we're calling it The Rise and Fall of David, I was like, ugh, like, can we just get to a gospel or something like that? Like, why are we going to First and Second Samuel and the Chronicles? And um, this text has been really transformative for me. One of my favorite scholars, Michael Heiser, he passed um, this past year from leukemia, and he says in 1 and 2 Samuel, there's this overarching theme where Israel is looking for a king and they forget that the primary king, God, is still ruling. So who has the right to rule throughout 1 and 2 Samuel, even in David's life? It's God. And we get into this messy, sometimes really gross, like Saul relieving himself in a cave kind of story. And what do I do with that? And I'd like to take a moment now just to pray and to receive what God has for you in this room tonight. Would you posture your hands open with me? Oh, Father, thanks for your unfailing love. Would you wrap each person in it tonight? Jesus, thanks for sitting on that throne and being the better David who we look to. And Spirit, I can't whiff up enough energy or passion to change anyone in this room, but I know that you can. So I just ask, would you come into this room as we surrender to your word tonight and do what only you can do. It's in your precious name, amen. Um, Brief review of of where we've been. Dr. Oliver taught the first week. Favorite definition of a spiritual leader. I'm using it forever now. Were you here? He said that a leader is someone who God trusts. Take notes. A a leader is someone who God trusts. And we get to see throughout David's life how God is continuing to build up this man. Last week, Nick Rowland, not a doctor, but on his way, uh, Nick taught and and talked about how the defeating of the Philistine and how we should read this text, not as like American Westerners, let's go defeat our giants, but like the Israelites would look at and say, we have a king who can conquer. And so we'll follow that thread tonight, even as we look into David's story with Saul. But just quick review, if you haven't been with us. First, in chapter 15, we've seen that God rejects Saul as king. Um, Saul was, was brought up, Israel wanted a king, and he does not do the greatest job. He looks the part, but... God looks at the heart. And so Saul is rejected in chapter 15. 16, we saw Samuel anoints David. You are the one that God has chosen to be king over Israel. And then we had the defeating of Goliath. And then you enter into, if you keep reading throughout 1 Samuel, there's this this phrase that takes place uh, in, in chapter 18. And Saul is coming back and they have the head of the Philistine and David is in Israel and they're gathered and all of Israel is saying, Saul has killed thousands and David ten thousands. Not quite the political slogan you would hope for, but Saul gets a little insecure with that. And what we see is Saul then goes on this trajectory where, oh yeah, this is why God rejected him. And Saul goes uh, on an attempt and for... All these chapters throughout 1 Samuel, until his demise, he's going to be on the hunt for God's anointed king. and And it's almost laughable. Um, at how Saul just cannot kill him. and in eighteen, there we see first, he throws a spear not once, but twice at David. poor aim. Uh, after that, he he again, he has this thing with spears in David's throat, like he keeps coming at David, and it's just not working. And then Saul sends soldiers to David's house as if that's not working with the spears, so maybe I'll send soldiers to his house and they'll kill him. But then David, while he's on the run with his mighty men, they come to this place called Nob where these priests, there's a story, Jesus references about his disciples taking the bread. This is that story where the priest gives food from the temple to David and his men to bless them and Saul finds out about it and kills not only the priest but everyone in Nob. This is why God rejected this leader. Next, we see that Saul is on the hunt for him in the wilderness and and he gets uh, blindsided by the Philistines and in his rage, he goes out and that's where we come to tonight where Saul is continuing his pursuit for this innocent man's life. God's chosen anointed king and his innocence has been betrayed and they're seeking to take his life. Follow with me looking in verse one. And after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. Fascinating story here. En Gedi, the Hebrew term, uh, is actually the same lettering as the Garden of Eden. And so it's, it's picturesque. If, if you're reading the scriptures in ancient Israelite, you would see this and you'd go, oh, this is very similar to another word I've heard before about what God is doing with some rulers in a garden. But it's not in a garden, it's in this desert where um, there's actually springs. There's uh, some of our Israel folks. Have you been to Israel? Have you gotten to go to the desert of En Gedi? Anyone in here? Oh, a couple of you, yeah. You should probably say it. I haven't been there, but I've heard it's amazing. Um, Incredible hiking trails, and there's these rocks uh, that climb, and there's goats running around, springs of water, fresh water running through it. This is the dream place if you're on the run for your life, and that's where David has come. And he and his men are there and Saul hears about it and takes 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David. David has about 300 of his men on the run and Saul says, finally, we got him, But just in case, let's take 3,000. And they set out to look for David and his men in the crags of the wild goats and he came to a sheep pen along the way and a cave was there. And Saul went in to do what, friends? Now, it's gotta be exhausting when you're hunting down someone's life. And here's Saul, and it's and funny, like if you go to some of the earlier commentators, they're not comfortable with saying that this is, this is Saul going to use the bathroom. It's like he was taking a nap. I think it should be laughable. I think what the author in 1 Samuel is doing here is he's saying, could you imagine a more humiliating situation for God's rejected king? He has been rejected. He's on the hunt and can't kill this guy. And now... He's going to relieve himself in this cave. And guess who's in the cave? David and his men were far back. And it sets up this very important question that I'd like to draw out tonight, even as Pat said earlier, is will God's anointed king, God's chosen king, will he take things into his own hands to murder and uh, to to revenge? I mean, this Saul figure is, is out to take his life. Will he... Will he murder and revenge and choose violence to reach the throne? Or will he choose to trust? To trust God's sovereign hands and his plan and his timing? Let's find out. Uh, Verse four, you ever have friends who like take the scripture or a promise of God and then they turn and twist it to something it's not? Have you ever broken up with somebody, high school kids, and said, God told me to do it this is that kind of theology where we take the promises of God and we twist them for our own means. And now sometimes it's laughable, but other times it means someone's life is on the line. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Now, I've searched for Samuel, I've looked in and out, and I've tried to find where does God say that he's going to give an enemy into the hands of David for him to do as he wishes. Friends, it's not there, which means, this is some, even in 1 Samuel, we're seeing some bad theology here. This is, this is the God told me so, where they're saying, hey, uh, here's Saul, he's at the cave right there, David. The, the kingdom and the throne are right in front of you. Let's take him out. I mean, he's relieving himself for Lord's sake. Like, let's, This is the primary time to humiliate him and step into the throne. To you to deal with as you wish is a phrase that gets used another time in scripture. It's actually back in the garden where there's an enemy who comes to God's image bearers and he says for you to do as you wish that God has withheld from you. And he's afraid that you're gonna know good and evil So take this as you see fit, to do as you wish. Warren Wiersbe, when he was reflecting on this, he said that God wants, uh, in the biblical narrative, God wants us to, nowhere else do we find God wanting us to do as we wish except the Garden of Eden. Where we're faced with a decision, will you trust God or will you take matters into your own? And so David crept up unnoticed and cut off Saul's robe. To that in a second. But first, when we take the promises of God and we mistake them for the lies of the enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil, it has catastrophic and destructive effects, doesn't it? That when I say, well, I know God promised this, but maybe he meant this, and we, we almost attribute our sinful action and evil for the action of God. Dr. Gary Oliver, he brought um, um, someone to John Brown a few years ago, and it's it's one of my heroes. Her name is Diane Langberg. I've quoted her a few times up here, but she's a psychologist. She has 50 years of experience dealing with trauma. I mean, just diving into the heart of pain and suffering across the world, globally known. And she speaks regularly about the abuse and trauma all over the world. And when she was writing about this kind of God-told-me-so theology, she said this. That no system that carries oppression, silencing, dehumanizing, violence, abuse, and corruption within is healthy. No matter how godly the goals of that system may be. Tolerance of such things out of fear, disbelief, or self-deception will not protect the system from the disease, she's speaking of sin here, that will kill it if left untreated. And here's David's friend saying, hey, abuse, murder. This is what God had for you, to walk in evil. Is that what God had for David? May we never attribute to our holy and righteous God the evils for which we are responsible. And then David goes in and he cuts off the, the, the robe. So, and I, it tells us something here I, I love, it's, it's honest. Because what David should have done is, is not cut the robe. And here we even see where Throughout David's storyline, we're going to continue to see some compromises that take place. And you might be thinking, why why cut off the robe? Well, a few reasons. If you were to read 1 Samuel again, you would know that in and through 1 Samuel, there's already been some cutting of robes. In 1 Samuel 15, 27, we see that as Samuel turned to leave, he's just told Saul, you've been rejected as king. Saul caught a hold of the hem of his robe and he tore it. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors. We have a tearing of a robe and God giving the kingdom. And then uh, the next few moments later, Jonathan, uh, Saul's son, who's actually best friends with David. So here's Saul trying to kill and murder and Saul's own son, Jonathan, is going, no, actually, I I know that God has told you you're going to be king. So he goes to them. And Jonathan, who's next in line to be king in Saul's lineage, made a covenant, a promise with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan took his royal robe off himself and clothed it. He gave it to David. See, God's already promised that he is going to give David this kingdom. It's not something he has to achieve. This isn't going to be something for David. Even last week, as we saw with the Philistine, it was... He gave God the glory for the victory, not himself. And so in one sense, this cutting off of Saul's robe is actually a callback and a symbol of who has the right to rule throughout this process. It's God. And yet, to cut off the the robe of a a royal figure, there's all sorts of uh, hymns, and, and whether it was the priest or the king in ancient Israel, there's a bunch of significance about that. And so to cut it off is actually a sign of disloyalty. And so while God can say, hey, you, your robe, this thing has been ripped off from you, it is not for David to do, is it? So yeah, I'm not going to kill him, but I'm gonna cut off the hem of his robe as a sign of disloyalty. At least to show my men behind me, hey, look, I didn't, do, I didn't do nothing. I did something. But look here what David's response is. I love this because the man after God's own heart, he's no, by no means perfect, but he is repentant. He says, uh, in verse five, afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. The Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his own way. I love this because David, he, he's quick to confess and repent. Shouldn't have cut the robe, disloyalty to, to Saul and saying, no, 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 I need to let God control what happens to Saul. That's not for me to do. And he's immediately, he's, he's stricken with conscience, which tells us something about David's decision-making. I mean, he is in a cave. He knows God has promised that he's going to be king. And here is the opportunity, the test, Will he remain faithful to God and his promises or take things into his own hands? Do you have situations right now where you feel like you might just be in a cave and you're waiting for God's promises? You know he's got the renewal of all things on the line. He is for you, not against you. And he's with you in, in, that, in the presence of that. And, and we see something here with David's decision-making, because I think there's three ways we can make decisions in this world. This is very Baptist of me, but we're gonna do it. One is to ask, is this easy? I'm in the cave. God, I'm waiting on you, but here's an easy way out. Is this comfortable? Next, is it popular consensus? What are other people gonna think about this? I mean, his men are behind him telling him. Or, Using his conscience, is this right? Is this what the Lord requires of me? Now, that'll change the way you look at your phone on a Friday night, won't it? That'll change the way you respond to, to people who have harmed you and hurt you. Because if we're just doing what, what is easy, that's not at all what Jesus calls us to. If we're just doing what is popular, like I'm gonna do this so that I can just get all the likes and followers. But if we're doing something because, oh, this is righteous, this is what is right. Which draws us, we we can see the first big idea out of this passage tonight. That God's anointed king, his his chosen king, chooses righteousness, not rebellion. He chooses in the midst of a, a really difficult time to trust God and his timing not to take things into his own hands. He's a leader, a leader is someone who God trusts, and here we see that leader that God trusts giving the trust back. But David chooses, though not perfectly, he chooses to live within God's righteousness. But he doesn't stop there. I love this. Samuel gives us then the speeches. So we've had the cave experience. What will God's chosen one do? Will he choose his righteousness? And then you get these two drawn out speeches. One by David and one by Saul. And David comes out of the cave and he calls out to Saul and says, notice the words that David uses when addressing Saul. The humility when he addresses Saul. My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, just after relieving himself, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face on the ground. And he said to Saul, why do you listen when when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes that the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. That term there, spared, is to look upon with compassion. You are an enemy against me. You are seeking my life, and I choose to look upon you with compassion. And I said, I will not lay my hand on the Lord. There's two Hebrew words for forgiveness in the scriptures and this is one of them. To to not lay a hand on is to dismiss. It is to let go. You have been wronged and you are ready and rightfully so able to take things into your own hands and instead you let go, you release, you choose to forgive that I will not lay a hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father looked at this piece of your, or see, my father, notice the familial term here that David's using. These two have a history together. I mean, he's best friends with his son. (laughs) Look, I have not, uh, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you. You are hunting me to take down my life. Here we see David not only chooses righteousness. God's anointed king not only chooses righteousness over rebellion, he chooses forgiveness. He chooses forgiveness and not revenge. He takes it a step further of, of, I'm not only going to be righteous with my God and confessing my sin, that's what confession is. Confessing doesn't make us right. Confession invites God to make us right. And now, as this God's anointed king is righteous, he comes and he says, I'm gonna restore this relationship between me and Saul. And he goes out to the man, seeking to kill him and take his life, and that makes a statement. To hold up the robe and say, I've wronged you, but you are taking down my life, and I forgive you. Um. I was sitting with a a leader that was visiting fellowship last week just in this room last night. He said this is one of the most welcoming churches he's ever been to. (laughs) And uh, we went out to dinner after and we were getting to know one another and he's up in Springfield at a church up there and I I just asked him, I said, hey, when you sit down with leaders, what's your go-to question? Leaders love questions. And I said, what's your go-to question? He said, he thought for a second and he said, what are you afraid of and who do you need to forgive? Like I felt it at Chick-fil-A with my kids running around right next to us in the, the room and like licking the window. But it was such a good question that I was like, I need to hold on to that. Hey, what are you afraid of and who do you need to forgive? Who has wronged you and harmed you and does such damage to you in your life right now that you don't necessarily wanna cut the rope, you wanna go all the way? And could God be inviting you in this time to say, "Release, let go. The best book I've read on forgiveness is by a guy named Desmond Tutu. He lived in South Africa during the apartheid. Um, Horrific stories. And Nelson Mandela and that whole crew are doing it to try and restore the heart and soul of a nation And as soon as they got into the room of the tribunals, they started hearing these stories and they said, we're going to need a power far beyond a government to fix this. And so they called up Desmond and um, Desmond Tutu brought a team together with uh, the church across South Africa and they began to listen to all these horrific stories of hurt and of harm and of rape and of murder. I mean, truly some of the darkest evil moments in South Africa's history. And they listened to all the stories and Nelson said to Desmond, hey, so what do we do now? And Desmond drew this chart. And he said, we are a nation that's caught in a cycle. We're caught in a cycle of revenge because there is hurt, there is loss, and there is harm, which leads to pain. And what's happening in South Africa is we are choosing in that pain to harm. We're making the choice to further the pain and the harm and the hurt and the loss that's been done to us. And by doing that, we're actually rejecting the humanity. Like the stories that were being shared, these neighbors were talking to one another and it was as if they weren't speaking to even people who were humans. I mean, the dehumanization that sin had done in that. And and there's this revenge and this retaliation and this payback and it's furthering the violence and cruelty and we're stuck in this cycle. And so what it's going to take for us to get out of this is a choice not to harm, but to heal. And we're gonna choose to heal. And he said, and they, they wrote it out and it was, first, we need to just tell the story. We need to be honest and honoring to what has actually happened here. And as they tell the stories, we need to name this is the thing that has caused such damage and hurt. Because right now, the whole thing looks like it's just this, this painful um, Tornado of hurt and harm, and we actually need to identify this is the very thing that we need to release. And as you do that, the the granting forgiveness, that choice is going, I see the humanity in the person who's harmed me, and it leads lastly to a renewing of the relationship. And like David, I just imagine him in the cave where he's already kind of chosen to go back on the retaliation and cut the robe, and there's an invitation here to go, No, I'm actually going to choose some healing out of this. And I don't know um, who in your life has done the harm, but what I do know is that you have a choice to heal from it and to be what Henry Nouwen calls a wounded healer, even in, through the pain that's been done to you. And, and David doesn't stop there because you might be asking what motivates David in that cave to not take Saul's life, to not grasp for the, the throne and take, walking in a righteousness, what would be the motivation? And I love it because David actually tells us All across the Psalms, if you look above the Psalm, it'll tell you what is happening with the author who is in that place. And we see in Psalm 57, a Psalm of David regarding the time when he fled to Saul and went into the cave. And he says, have mercy on me. Oh God, have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. I cry out to God most high, to the God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me, interlude, and then look, here's the motivation. For my God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. What's the motivation for David in in the cave, in the waiting, in the pain, in the suffering, with someone trying to take his life? It's the loyal love of God. Hesed is the term. That God's loving kindness, this is God's disposition to you. You don't have to earn or strive or prove yourself to the God who is love. He gives it freely. And so come and receive it. And the motivation for David here, it's the the trusting and the waiting in God's loyal love that he will come through in his promises even and through the painful cave that I'm in. I was at a funeral this past week for um, a good friend of ours. He's up at Fellowship Bentonville, Dylan Grimes. His father passed unexpectedly about a week ago, and they, they had the funeral just this past Thursday in Hennessy, Oklahoma. I don't know if you've been to Hennessy, not much happened in there. But this this I this funeral, I, I tell you, it, it was as if um, it was as if we had an opportunity to join David in that cave. Because there was death and there was pain, and what Dylan and his brothers did, they got up there and they told of the unfailing love of God, as he said. And in between sharing stories about God's loyal love and then through their experiences with their father, they stopped and they had a song. And you know what the song was? I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever over the mountains and the sea. Your river runs like love for me and I will open up my hands and let the river and there was not a heart in the room that wasn't touched by the unfailing love of God. What motivates King David and to, to choose righteousness and to forgive his enemy? It's nothing but the unfailing love of God. And, and don't forget, uh, where is David when all this is happening? He's not, he's not on the mountaintop, he's in the cave. That he's actually in suffering. Someone's out to take his life and he's saying, ah, they can take it. The unfailing love of God is so much greater than any throne I could sit on. But it's in and through the suffering that God is present. And look, we go back now and to, to David finishing up his speech to Saul, and he says, notice the emphasis on who's going to do the work here. May the Lord ju- be the judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. May the Lord be our judge. May the Lord consider my cause and uphold it. May the Lord vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. David, even in and through the suffering, he chooses, I'm going to trust and wait in my God's unfailing love for me. And then the response, Saul gives a speech. When David finished saying these things to Saul, he said, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me, and the Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he, not let, uh, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you have treated me today. And notice, notice what Saul says here. Because of David's responses, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. That because of David's, because of the loyal love David experiences from God, he's able then to go and extend it. And now Saul, well, only for a moment. Saul goes back off his rocker in the next chapter. <laughs> but at least for now, he has a chance to see, oh my goodness, the unfailing love. Yes, of course you're going to be king. And then he says, swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. And so David gave his oath and then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold back in the in Gedi. So in, in summary, God's anointed king does three things. One, he chooses righteousness not to rebel. Two, uh, he extends forgiveness, not revenge. And lastly, he trusts God's loyal love and in through suffering. Now, what we could do here is we could say, Isn't David so great? Don't we want to be like David? So let's go do these things. I don't think that's the point of 1 Samuel 24, friends. Because if you keep reading, can you tell me, is there, an, is there a reminder of another time that you hear of God's chosen anointed king who chooses righteousness and he extends forgiveness? And he trusts God's loyal love in through suffering. And it wasn't Psalm 56, but Psalm 22 gets quoted. A, a, a royal psalm of David that sings of David entering into the suffering and the hardship of God. And it ends with God restoring him. And there's a better king. And he quotes that psalm and says, it was about noon. Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun had stopped shining and not the robe of a king. The curtain in the temple between what is royal and godly and what is not is torn. And Jesus cried with a loud voice, not, not taking the life of an enemy, but giving his life for his enemies. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And when he said that, he breathed his last. Because it's not a cave that this king finds himself in, it's a tomb. And he rises and walks out of it and invites you and I into his kingdom with new life. So, how do you respond to 1 Samuel 24? Well, you look to the greater David. We're going to trust and follow him tonight. And and if you're not following King Jesus, if you've been doing this life and it's a little more revenge than righteousness. (laughs) a lot more rebellion happening in your heart and in the inner man than of God's presence and purposes in your life, I would encourage you, our prayer team will be available at the end of the service and they'd love to walk you through one of the most important decisions you'll ever make of following King Jesus. But for those of us who have, we're gonna take communion tonight to look to the greater David. And the table will be available, and they're going to serve you with a a beautiful, beautiful word that it's God's unfailing, His Hesed love for you on the cross. And I'd ask if you would just step up and come out to your left, and then come back to your right, and we'll take and hold the elements. And if you can't get to the front, and I can bring you, would you just raise your hand, and I'd love to bring you the elements? But, friends, could we leave this space tonight? following King Jesus, the better David, into his practice of enemy love, forgiving those who wronged us. And trusting, no matter what cave you're in, trusting God's loyal love to get you through the other side. The table is open. Come.
1: final breath and it was finished. But not the end we could have known. For the earth began
3: hold these elements let's sing that chorus one more time together praise his name all hail King Jesus for us in this charge to take in remembrance. So his body broken for us, take and eat in remembrance. And his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sin. Take and drink in remembrance. declare his kingship in our lives one more time before we leave this place we sing glory
1: glory glory we have no other king but jesus the lord
3: that we would crown you, Lord, of all, every day of our lives. So would you teach us to walk by your spirit, to worship you in spirit and in truth daily, to acknowledge your kingship as we live, not just for this world, but we live for your kingship, your kingdom. May your kingdom come and your will be done in us, we pray. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us tonight, Mosaic. If you need prayer, our prayer team is at the back of the room. Also, if you're new, we'd love to get to know you. You can go see someone in the center foyer and go in peace
4: to love and serve the Lord.